Are you a professional real estate agent looking to get the competitive edge? Let's face it, the real estate industry is changing and we're going to show you how to change with it. So stop sending out mailers, cold calling dead leads, or even worse, attending network meetings. Become a modern digital agent with your hosts, Dwayne and Amanda Roberts. All right, let's jump into it. I know how to sell real estate, guys, and I know how to find inventory and I know how to get listings. So this much I know. So how to discover new inventory in a hot seller's market. Now, I remember back in 2012, it was kind of, we were just kind of going along. Nothing had really changed in the marketplace. Then it was like, by the end of 2012, you could tell something was coming. I mean, you could just feel it. It was like, something's changing in the market. I feel the shift. You couldn't really quite say what it was. By spring 2013, I was literally taking listings hand over fist and they were selling like hotcakes. And it just progressively got crazier. And this was in the Nashville market. And it's like this everywhere in the United States right now. Literally homes would sell within 24 hours of being listing. I remember in 2015, 2016, I would get listings and sell them before I even put them on the MLS. It's crazy, guys. And so now people are fighting over the inventory. They're offering seventy-five dollars to $100,000 over list price. None of this sounds odd to you guys. You're experiencing it, right? So I have put together all of my years of experience, everything I've ever done to drum up a listing, everything that I know other people have done. We've actually tried this in a couple of different markets, started doing this in January. And so we know this stuff works even in other markets. So I'm going to share with you these simple steps to discover 15, 15, one, five, 15 categories of potential new inventory listings in any market. All right. You have to be a problem solver. Problem solver is someone who comes up with a solution to a problem. And this is the actual definition, a thinker who focuses on the problem and tries to synthesize information and knowledge to achieve a solution. Being a problem solver makes you money, lots of money. So what's the problem? We have low inventory. So what's the solution? We have to think outside of the box and discover new ways to solve the inventory problem. We have to think different, act different, and look different, right? That's what we talk about all the time. And so, you know, there's all kinds of ways to catch a mouse, but if we set a better mousetrap, we're gonna catch more than the average agent. That's what we're here for. So first you gotta identify the problem. What's the real problem here? Did all of these people suddenly that were renting decide, I'm going to buy a house? And they came in and grabbed up all the inventory. Did, you know, thousands of houses burn down and now there's a shortage of houses? No, builders are literally building houses faster than they, they've ever done before. I mean, literally, I hear hammers even around my neighborhood starting at seven o'clock in the morning and they go till six o'clock at night. You can't tell me that there's not enough homes for the demand. The problem is, number one problem, and most of you know this, the people who are currently homeowners don't want to give up the home they're in until they know that they can get another home. And not just any home. They're not trying to sell one house, move to another, and basically have the same thing. They have lots of motivations, lots of things that are driving them to want to buy or sell. And unless you find those hot buttons and press them, they're not giving up that house that they know that they've got. So here are some problems, some real problems that sellers may not want to sell their house for. Number one, they're just afraid to sell. They're afraid to sell. And a lot of times they just, they don't want to have to go through the trouble of doing all the repairs to get the house ready. I mean, maybe, maybe it's a money issue. Maybe it's a time issue. Maybe they're waiting. Maybe they're waiting until the market gets to the very top so they can squeeze out every dollar. Well, if they wait too long, they're going to mess up because historically speaking, 
through every seller's market. It just goes up, 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 up. It hits a peak and then boom, we're back into a buyer's market. And there's lots of factors that go into that. And if you know what to look for, if you know the signs to look for, you will see we are dangerously close. I My guess is sometime in the next 12 to 36 months, possibly even sooner. I would say probably 12 to 18 months, we're going to see that start to shift. They've been saying it's coming for years. They said it was going to happen in 2018. It didn't happen. But I did kind of feel a little bit of a... Eh, a little bit of a stop right there in that spring, towards the end of that spring market, beginning of the summer market, 2018. That's when I told my husband, I said, I'm starting to feel it shift again, but it still, it still hasn't hit that yet. And so there's a lot of factors involved with selling. Also, what are the builders experiencing? You know, just because builders are out here buying up lots and building, 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 building doesn't mean anything because right before that crash in 2007, they were doing the exact same thing. Builders are going to build as long as the demand is there. They're going to put as much inventory on the ground as they possibly can. They're going to try to get ahead of the demand, although right now they're behind, but they're going to try to get ahead of the demand. And now with the cost of lumber going up, that's created a whole nother set of problems. So sellers want to know that they can get top dollar for their home. However, currently money is not their motivating factor. Now, I don't know about you, but if I go to sell my house and my house is worth about 400,000 right now, if I list my house for 400,000, knowing full well that I'm going to get 25,000, 50,000, $75,000 over list price, that might be a motivating factor. But if I don't know where I'm going, if I don't have another home already lined up, that might not be enough to get me to give up my house. See, people don't want to just throw their house out there for sale and not know where they're going. They want some guarantees before they do that. So a lot of times their main motivating factor may be that they want to downsize. You know, a lot of people are tired of cleaning the big house. You know, they've had that 3,000 or 4,000 square foot house for years. You know, they raised the family in it. They had three or four kids. They're all gone off to college. They're tired of cleaning. Maybe they just want to retire to warmer climate. I don't blame them. I, I moved to Florida. I get it. So maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they're just starting out with their family and they need a bigger home. Maybe they need a bigger home because they want to have a home office. Maybe there's lots of reasons why people might want a bigger home. Maybe they just want a bigger yard that's fenced for their dog. You know, surprisingly, there are a lot of people who will move to a bigger place for their pets. You know, they don't want their 75-pound lab stuck in an apartment the rest of its life. You know, they have hopes, dreams, and goals too, and sometimes that does evolve around their pets. So you've got to identify a potential seller's true motivation. Now, this isn't anything new to you guys. However, when you're in a seller's market and that seller needs to move for some reason, whether it's a need to or a want to, you have to identify that reason first and get them dreaming and get them looking and try to meet that need before they're ever going to give up that house and list with you. So it might as well just be a conversation at that point. So you really have to identify what their motivation is. It's not always the money. Now, how do you find these potential sellers in the first place? So you have to choose a very specific marketing campaign, an actual niche campaign that's going to attract the seller to wanting to do business with you. We have those. Now, client number one, let's go over the clients. There's 15 of them. I've narrowed it down. Client number one is the downsizer. Their problem is they're currently living in a two-story home or 2,500 square feet or larger, and they just want to downsize. Their kids may have already left the house. They're tired of cleaning. The stairs might be hurting their knees. We kind of talked about this already. They know they want to downsize, but their motivating factor isn't that exciting. They don't want to pack up all the stuff and have the garage sales and do the repairs and clean and do all this unless the right property comes along. And that's your job as the agent 
to first of all, get in front of them, find out what they're looking for, and number two, find that property. And you might be thinking, well, how am I gonna find that property? If somebody's downsizing, chances are they're downsizing to something smaller, which is actually gonna fall into first-time homebuyer land, and that's even more difficult. Stay tuned because some of these later clients that I'm gonna talk about are actually gonna uncover those homes. Client number two is the client that's relocating. I'm gonna be honest with you, this is my favorite client. And here's why. Whether you're in a seller's market or not, let me be very clear with you. When somebody has a home and they're in it, they've been living in that home for years. They've painted the walls. They've bought furniture and placed it. And they've you know, slept in that house for years. They, every memory they've had there for the last five to 10 years is like part of this house and who they are. They're not going to be highly motivated to move unless you find them another property. But if they're moving out of state because they want to or because of a job situation, they're going to be super, super motivated to sell that house. Now, you have to obviously run a marketing campaign. Again, this is a niche campaign. Some of you might call it niche. I say niche because I'm from the South. <laughs> but you need to run a specific campaign for this type of client. You can't just throw blanket marketing out there and hope that every one of these types of clients go, oh, a real estate agent that wants my business, let me call them. No, you have to hone down. You have to mine down and niche down to find these specific clients. Because when they see your marketing, that you're marketing to them as someone who wants to relocate out of state, now you're speaking to them a little bit deeper than the average agent. They're going to be thinking, oh, this is a relocation specialist. They can help me sell my home and put me in touch with somebody in the other state. And this is what you do. You find out where they're moving, their price point, bedrooms, baths, everything that they're looking for in this other state. Now they may be relocating for a job, so they may know exactly where they want, where you know what city and state they want to be in. They may be moving closer to family. They may just want to move to the beaches of Florida, and they kind of got a pretty broad range of areas that they're looking in. Either way, find out what it is exactly that they're looking for, and then go online and do a Google search and find an agent in that area. Find somebody that's got amazing reviews and contact that agent. Say, hey, I got a client moving from Ohio or Minnesota and they're coming to Florida. Do you have availability to take on another client for a referral fee? Most agents are going to say yes to that. They're going to like, yeah, please give me the business. I'll pay you a referral fee for that. And so at that point, you find out what that price point and what moving to that area is going to cost this, you know, cost this client and get back to them and say, hey, I found an agent in, let's say it's Jacksonville, Florida. I found an agent in Jacksonville, Florida. She has amazing reviews. You're absolutely going to love her. She is sweet as pie. She's got homes in your price point, three bedrooms, two baths, 1,500 square feet within a walking distance of the beach, all for under 400 grand. She can help you guys. You know, I'm going to put you in touch with her. And so you get that ball rolling. And so what's going to happen? They're going to take an exploratory trip to Jacksonville, Florida and meet with the agent and go look at homes. Guess what? It's a pretty good chance they're going to find a house that they love. They're going to put a contract in on it, pending that you sell their house. They come home, they're hot and heavy. Get the sign in the yard, get it on the MLS, let's get it sold. Boom, problem solved. These are my favorite clients because I don't have to show them 50 houses and fight with other offers to get their business. And I get the referral business on the other side. You're going to love these clients. Moving on, client number three, I got to stay on schedule, the divorce client. So obviously when somebody's going through the divorce, this is self-explanatory. The majority of the time they are going to sell the home. They want to split the equity. Maybe somebody wants to get their name off of the mortgage or the deed, and maybe the other person can't qualify on their own. So they're basically forced to sell the house. So there's lots of different ways to target this client. Obviously, the correct marketing campaign, you got to have the right ad copy. You got to right, have the right images. You have to know what to say. And this is a very delicate situation because typically what I have found with the divorce client is one of the spouses or soon to be ex-spouses is a little bit nicer. The other one is just mad. They're frustrated. They're angry. They're bitter. And they fight you the whole time. But if you handle it correctly, 
you will get multiple transactions out of this because they have to sell. Either way, they have to sell. And so once it's sold, typically speaking, the one that worked with you a little bit more is the one that's going to use you as their client for their next house. And you may end up just putting them in a rental. And guys, I know a lot of you are not rental agents, but if you have clients that are selling their home and they're not buying another one and they're going to be renting, you can get a rental commission by referring them to a rental agent. You have to ask for it and there's paperwork, but you can get a rental commission as well. Client number four, the move up buyer. So this one's a little tricky. Um, I typically like to work up work with move up buyers that have enough equity that they can put down on the next home to avoid PMI because that allows them to buy more home. And so, you know, it's kind of a little bit easier to get them to move into a bigger, nicer home if the payment didn't go up too much. Uh, they'll usually go up a couple hundred dollars a month because at this point they've gotten a raise and different things have happened in their life. But the move up buyer, self-explanatory, they're selling a home, they're moving into another one. These obviously at this point are a little more difficult. However, if you apply some of the techniques that I'm going to tell you later on, I'm going to get into the really good stuff here in about 10 to 15 minutes, stuff that you do not want to miss, stuff you've probably never heard of or thought of before. So hang in there because some of these techniques are actually going to solve a lot of these other problems for your inventory, for your move up buyers, people that you've got in your pipeline right now that you know they would buy a house if you could get them one there, it's going to solve your problems later. And so again, attracting the move up buyers, not anything new. You just have to find them the house before they're willing to sell the other one. Okay, so here's a good move up buyer comparison. I'm going to go through this really quick, guys, because we got a late start and had some technical problems. This is a current home scenario. Now, I'm going to read this really quick. Move up buyer comparison. It's based upon a customer who bought a house 10 years ago. They paid down principal. Additionally, they were paying PMI because they took a higher interest rate 10 years ago. The rates were anywhere between five and a half to six and a quarter, depending on their credit and their loan program. And let's just assume for this scenario that they put the minimum amount down. And then, of course, the equity, I based it off the national average for the last 10 years. And all of these scenarios are based on a 30-year fixed mortgage and transfer of all their equity. So let's say that they bought a house for $200,000 10 years ago, and they're currently paying $1,400 a month, and 150 of that is PMI. So their current payoff is going to be roughly about $170,000 if they, all they did was pay their minimum payment. And now with the appreciation that we're ex experiencing in the nation, they can expect in most markets to see a current value of about $325,000. Now, I'm not going to get into how big this house is or any of that kind of stuff. This is just a, an average, a nation's average. Now, in a new home scenario, now in this case, if you did the quick math on this, after a 6% real estate commission and a little bit of seller's closing costs, they should have roughly $135,000 left out of their equity. And so if they purchased a new home for $400,000 and they put down $135,000 based on today's rates, their payment before taxes and insurance would be roughly about $1,500 a month. And then their new principal balance would be $265,000. And so it's not even quite $100,000 more than what they're paying now. Now, granted, they are going back up to a 30-year note. But unless they plan on being in this home for 30 years, it really doesn't matter because they're going to sell it down the road anyway and cash out the equity and go buy something else and maybe eventually pay cash. So this just shows you guys a side-by-side -side comparison of somebody who's currently paying PMI, who has equity, that they can really go up in price and get a different house. You just have to explain it correctly. You have to know your numbers. That way, when you go to that move-up buyer, you're saying, look, I know that you bought this house 10 years ago for $200,000, but listen, it's worth $325 right now. And in their mind, they're not thinking that they can afford a $400,000 house. That just sounds crazy to them. But if you tell them, guys, it's just an extra $100 a month more than what you're currently paying, all of a sudden they're like, wait, what? How's that possible? Then you sit down and you explain it to them. Some of you may not be as good at math as me. You may need a loan officer to break it down for you, but you all should have a good loan officer that will do this for you. So that had to do with the move up buyer. Now, this is client number five, the estate trustee. So the problem is someone has passed away and now the estate trustee needs to sell the house. Now, a lot of times this is the child, the adult child, and 
you know, there may be some sentimental things going on here. They may not really want to sell the house. There may be issues with the house. A lot of times these estates, you know, older people are not as capable, you know, physically of keeping up with the maintenance. Sometimes it's a financial problem. You know, maybe they needed a roof five years ago, but they couldn't afford it. And so now we got some water damage and maybe some, you know, gutters or things falling off the house. And so there's going to be some repairs and things, obviously, that need to be done. Oftentimes, these estate trustees, the adult children, don't even live in the same area. You know, half at least half the time is my experience. They don't even live in the same area. And so they're going to rely heavily on their real estate agent to orchestrate, you know, repairs and closings and things for them, you know, because you're going to have to overnight docks to a title company. So they're going to need a title company where they live because they're not going to want to fly in. Now, in the event that there's furniture in the home, that needs to be dealt with. So they may not be in a position to come and get it all removed. So you may need to find a company that can take care of that. Maybe Goodwill come in and take out you know, the things that can go to Goodwill or whatever you need to do to get it job done. So there's a niche marketing campaign that will attract these type of people as well, because you can't, again, you can't just throw out blanket marketing and expect somebody that just, you know, lost their parent that needs to sell their home to respond to that. But if you say specific verbiage, like, do you have an estate that you need to sell? Did you recently lose someone you love having a hard time? Uh, deciding how to go about selling the home. There's all kinds of verbiage and things that, you know, we've tested it. We've tried it. We have the exact ad copy. We have the exact images. We know what works. We've tested it. We've tested it in multiple markets. And our students have access to all of these ads and campaigns. So at this point, if you like what you're hearing so far, and you would like to get more information on a client acquisition system that gives you all of these ads, all of the images, to attract these type of comments, go ahead and type in the comment section, show me. All right, client number six, the builder. Now, I know a lot of you don't like builders, I get it, but builders are part of the solution. The reality is even if your client doesn't buy a new home, someone else's client is buying the new home, which allows your client to buy the existing home. So builders are part of part of our real estate economy, so to speak. We need them. And if you can find a builder that you can work with, you can actually make a lot of money. You just have to know what makes the builder stick. Now, I'm not talking about going and being a model home agent. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about finding the solution for what the builder's pain point is. Now, obviously one of their pain points right now is lumber. You can't help the cost of lumber, but I do have a couple of things that I can share with you. Builders are looking for land. They need land. I'm not talking about these big time builders who are building, you know, a hundred plus homes. I'm talking about you're closer to that mom and pop range. You've got a you know local builder who's building 10 to 15 homes a year. He likes to buy you know five acre parcels and, and divide them up into five lots or 10 lots, or you know, he'll buy a random parcel here, random parcel there. That's the kind of builders I'm talking about. These larger builders, they've got a whole team in place that does all of this. So that's not what I'm talking about. And I'll go into a little more detail here. So Client number seven is the landowner. Now, I mentioned the builder because he's tied to this particular client, and this is a good way to get in with the builder. So this is kind of like a little bit like double dipping, so to speak. So find a large undeveloped piece of land somewhere, find out who the owner is, and you could just send them a postcard and ask them, would they be willing to sell some or all of the land? Now, every county is different. I will use a county that I know um, their codes for, um, so I can explain this to you. So, for example, in Wilson County, unless it's changed, and some of you who are in Wilson County, Tennessee, may know better than me, but if you can find a parcel of land that has two or more acres, and each acre has to have at least 50 feet of road frontage, and it has to perk. So what you, in essence, what you could do is you could find a piece of land that's say two acres with a hundred feet of road frontage. 
and you could sub that could be subdivided. Now, who's subdividing it? Well, the current owner could subdivide it and sell off one acre. Great. Or the builder could go in and buy the whole, you know, two acres and he could go in and subdivide it. It's really all depends on what the current owner wants to do. So maybe it's somebody who's got 15 acres and they're like, well, yeah, I think I could break off five acres, but I'm keeping 10. Hey, that's great. So now he doesn't have to move. He still has his 10 acres. Now you've got five acres that, depending on how much road frontage you have, could potentially be lots to build homes. And so at this point, you can approach the builders and, you know, you really should just get out there and start networking with them. There's lots of local network groups. You can find them on Facebook um, where you can go and meet builders. Now, like, again, it's going to be your small mom and top type builders, but they're investing meetups and things like that. So dig around a little bit and see if you can find some of them and, you know, just show up with a flyer when you've got land. Don't tell them where it's at. Just to have got five acres in Wilson County, prime development, got, you know, 250 feet of road frontage. The seller wants a hundred grand for it. Really? Where? Well, I'd love to show it to you, but, <laughs> you know, and you get to talking with the builder. Once you do that first transaction with them, they're going to be hot on it the next time you come up with some land. And so the best part of all with the builders, especially the smaller ones, when you find that land for them, say, you know, I'd love to work this deal out for you. I'd love to uh, get this going between you and the current landowner. I do have one little favor to ask you, though. And the builders going to be like, yeah, sure. What? You know, I know you probably got a realtor that you use. Now, unless it's his wife, <laughs> that's not going to work. You should probably do a little research because a lot of time the mom and pop builders, their wife is the realtor, <laughs> just so you know, especially in those small, small towns. But if they don't have you know, a family member that's their realtor, say, you know, I'd like to get the listing on the houses that you build on this land. Now, if you just sold a five acre piece of land for a hundred grand, you didn't make a whole lot. Even if you just represented one side, you made three grand, whoop-de-doo. But if you just picked up five brand new listings, hello, is that not amazing? Like this is how you break into this kind of thing. You go out, you do the legwork. Now you're like, oh, how do I find the land? There's lots of ways to find the land. You can look in your tax records, pick an area. Just say, you know what? This is a hot area. There's a lot of building going on over here. If I could find some land in this, you know, five mile radius, go to your MLS, go to your tax records, you know, look and see and find out who owns that land. You know, a lot of times people are hurting. You know, you got somebody with 30 acres and let's say his wife just had a major surgery and they've got doctor bills and they don't know what they're going to do. But you send a postcard that says, would you be interested in selling some or all of your land? you know, we're paying top dollar for land right now, you know, they might call you and they might say, you know, I need about 30 grand right now, or I need 50 grand right now to pay some doctor bills. How many acres would I have to sell to get 50 grand? You know, you, and then depending on how much it's going for per acre, they may need to break off 10 acres. You may have just solved their problem and you solved the builder's problem and you helped with the inventory problem and you put money in your pocket. Now, when he builds those houses, guess what you're gonna do when they're done? Open house, absolutely. You're gonna do an open house and you're gonna leverage that. This right here, this one client alone, this one little tip can make you six figures this year if you get on it. But you don't have to go out there and do all the legwork yourself. Again, we have the ad copy, we have the images. You can target these people online just as easily as you can with a postcard or in person. So there's lots of ways to skin a cat here. We're just, I'm just sharing a few. Client number eight, the landlord. Maybe you thought about this, maybe you haven't. There are hundreds, if not thousands of landlords in your market and they're holding property. To be honest with you, I think this might be one of the biggest contributors to our inventory problem. I noticed back in 2012 that there was a little company out of California 
I won't name any names. <laughs> so I don't want to be involved in no slander lawsuit. But they started buying up a lot of property, like to the tune of 100 a month, 100 properties a month in our market. I kid you not. And I started to feel the squeeze a little bit in 2013 with the inventory problem. And I told Dwayne, I said, I don't like what they're doing here. I don't like this. These investors are pulling together and they're out here buying all this property. And so what happens is once all of the homes are bought up, well, what does it do? It forces people to rent. And so it kind of put a little bit of a bad thought in my mind. And I'm starting to think maybe that is, is what we're feeling right now. But there are landlords out there who didn't go into a pool of investors. They're just, you know, mom and pops again. And, you know, they've held on to the properties for 10, 15, 20 years. They've probably made all their money back in rent. They don't own anything on the property. They're starting to get on up in age, them and the homes. Maybe they've just recently had to do some repairs on the property. Maybe they just had to dish out money on an HVAC or a new roof. And they're just starting to think, you know what? I just don't know if I want to mess with these, these rentals anymore. And oftentimes the properties have at least doubled, if not more, in value. And so if you do a specific marketing campaign to attract landlords saying, you know, something, attention landlords, do you have multiple investment properties? tired of chasing down rent, tired of this, tired of that, want to cash out your equity now, this is the best time to sell. It's not going to be any better, yada, yada. I'm not going to give you our exact ad copy. I'm just throwing out some, you know, tidbits here. But you might get some calls on that. And the good news is normally they own two or more properties. I know a realtor in my market that just snatched 10, 10 because he's in his late 70s. They've been paid for five times over. The man's had these properties for like 20 to 30 years and he's done. He's ready to cash out. And guess what? Every last one of them are worth close to $300,000. 10 properties, guys. Dude's going to get like $3 million. So there are landlords out there that are like, you know what? Give me, give me my million. Give me my 2 million. Give me my 3 million. Send me home. Make me go away. Take my property. <laughs> and you've got to know exactly how to market to get these landlords to give up the properties. And guess what? The beauty behind this is the majority of these homes fall into the first time home buyer category, which is going to solve what? Your buyer problem. If you got 10 listings laid in your lap right now by contacting an, an existing investor, someone who's a landlord who's just done and wants to retire, you had 10 landed in your lap. Could you not find a buyer for them? I mean, seriously. You know, I know in some states being a dual agent is against the law. It's against the guidelines, but you can be a facilitator in some states. I know for a fact in Tennessee, you can. You can also refer out that buyer for 50% commission to somebody else in your office. So you do not have to lose that money. So there's ways, guys, to get inventory and solve these problems. You just have to think outside the box. Now, this is a fun one. Client number nine, this is an HPR lot owner. So an HPR is a horizontal property regime. Now, what that is, is it's a zoning policy that essentially allows for two houses to be built on a piece of land that was previously zoned for just one house. You'll find this a lot in major metropolitan areas. I mean, you'll find it in outer lying areas as well. You just have to know what your county's codes are. And so if you don't know what your county's codes are, I implore you to dig into that and really try to uncover. There's other codes out there where you can do multiple properties, where you can build three or four homes on a property. There's just certain requirements like road frontage. Now, in Nashville, these properties only required 50 feet of road frontage. Well, some of the properties only had 50 feet, but they had an alley. So sometimes there's loopholes. Now you're thinking, well, what, how's this solve the inventory problem? I'm gonna tell you how it solves the inventory problem. Number one, 
you take what's currently one property and turn it into two. Now, how do you do that? You got to bulldoze the house, <laughs> obviously. So you're not going after a home that's built in the last 20 years. We're talking about homes that, you know, like a 1930s bungalow. I mean, it's approaching 100 years old. Guys, it really does need to be bulldozed. I mean, a lot of those homes have seen better days. I literally would see a home on a street boarded up, another home next to it that they took care of, and then next to that, these big HPRs. Now, an HPR is going to, we call them shotgun houses. They're long, they're skinny, and they're tall. They're typically two or even three stories, depending on the area. Now, when this first started, this was, gosh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago is when this first started, and it was getting hot and heavy in Nashville. People were paying $250,000 for a lot just so they could bulldoze the house. It cost them another 30 grand just to bulldoze the house and, and remove everything just to get the clear bare lot. So you're looking at two hundred eighty to $300,000 just for the lot. Now, I would go and door knock. If I knew that that lot met the qualifications, they were on my list. I showed up with a gift bag on Saturday, knock, knock, knock. Now, do you think they were getting door knocked by other people? Absolutely, they were. But they wasn't getting door knocked by me. And when they met me, it was a different tune. And so I literally went around and I found multiple properties. Now, I was part of a group of investors and these builders who were building these HPRs wanted lots. Why? Because they wanted to build the houses. They were going for five to $700,000 a piece, depending on the street, literally, depending on what street it was on. So of course I went after the streets that were more expensive. So the next thing you're gonna do though, is you're gonna tell the builder, I want the listing. Same with the landowner, same with that builder. You get him the land and now he returns the favor by giving you the listing. Now, those same HPRs are going for close to a million dollars right now, 800 to a million dollars. So if you were able to snag two of those at a million a pop, that's $60,000 in commissions and you're just representing the seller. And so that doesn't even count the commission you make on the land, that's another 10 grand. So you literally can pick up $70,000 minimum, if not more, depending on your market, just with this little tip. It doesn't take very many doors to knock to find somebody willing to move if the price is right. But again, it goes back to what I said about move-up buyers. They are not letting go of that rundown 1930s bungalow that you know and they know needs to come down until you find them a home. And so you have to ask the right questions. How much equity do you have? Are you wanting a bigger home? Are you wanting a smaller home? Or would you be satisfied with a home the same size as this one? You have to know what their needs are. Are you willing to move out further from the city? Are you willing to go out into the suburbs or even out into the country? Where would your dream home be? Get them dreaming. And once you've got them dreaming and you can identify a property that's going to match their criteria, boom, you've got that one sold. You got the buying side from the person who's selling the lot with the 1930s home. You get the sell side from the builder when he builds the two properties. So you're really closer to $100,000 in commissions. And that's if you get one yes. One yes from somebody willing to sell that lot. So look it up in your area. A lot of cities offer, you know, have this type of zoning. You do sometimes have to get it approved. You have to get it. Don't, don't freak out if it says that it's allowed. But then when you go to get things done, it says, no, you have to get it approved. But in an inventory crisis, unless it's in a historical neighborhood, they're not going to let you do it in a historical neighborhood. You might know somebody who knows somebody that can get it done, but if it's in a historical neighborhood, you're wasting your time and energy. It's very rare that that's going to happen. And so moving on, we spend enough time on that one. Client number 10, cash out, no mortgage. Now you're like, they must have a paid for house. No, it doesn't always have to be the case. I represented a client 
maybe five years ago, right after I bought my charger, because I had to go backwards on a gravel road in the woods in my brand new Dodge Charger in reverse for two miles because there was nowhere to turn around. So that would have been 2015. Okay. This is how I remember things. The damage I do to my vehicles. <laughs> okay. So it was a little couple. They were so sweet. And I went to their house and I was like, mm, I don't know if I want this listing. And so they owed about, oh, I don't know the numbers right off the top of my head. Let's say a hundred. I think they owed right around a hundred thousand and the house was worth 200,000. Now they were pre foreclosure and they were desperate and he had horrible, horrible credit. You know, I didn't see it, but my loan officer said, yeah, no, he's not buying anytime soon. So they're about to lose their house. He didn't have credit to buy another one. They had about $100,000 to work with. And we're talking about Nashville, outer lying, outer lying area of Nashville. Actually, this house was in Franklin. And it was just an old rundown little house that just honestly, it needed to be bulldozed too. And so I asked them, they were probably early 60s, really close to retirement. And I said, how do you feel about living in a double wide in the country? Now, I know half of you just went, ah! I'm telling you what, if you are ignoring double wides right now, you are leaving money on the table. They are the next best thing to a house. <laughs> and I'm not going to be ashamed to say I have lived in a double wide in my younger years. And if you, there's some nice ones out there. So, they were like, you know what? Yeah, I never thought about it, but considering our situation, I think I would be interested in looking. And so I took them out looking and we looked at about a dozen of them. And, you know, some of them were rough. I'm not going to lie. You know, they were in areas where there were other properties that were rough. And so we just went on. We moved on. But I found them this one cute little double wide. And it was actually bigger than the house that they were selling. The house they were selling was 1,000 square feet, two bedrooms, one bath. The double wide was 1,500 square feet, three bedrooms, two baths, and it had a sunroom and a little shed, and it had a little bit of acreage with it, and it was just cute as a button. It was adorable, and she just fell in love with it. She goes, I can see myself living here, and so I was able to sell their house for two. Actually, I sold it for 210. I just remembered that. It went for 210, and then they bought the double wide for 75,000. And so they had a little bit of money left over to buy furniture and to move. And so they absolutely loved me. Now, was that an amazing payday for me? No, I think I ended up making like $7,500, eight grand, something like that. And had to drive my Dodge Charger backwards in the country, but whatever, I have a story, right? <laughs> I help these people. And sometimes it's not about the commission. It's about helping them. And so you may come across somebody that, you know, you find out that their motivation is they don't want a mortgage anymore. So you find out how much equity they have. And if you know that if they just went another 15 miles or 20 miles down the road, you can put them in a double wide on a little piece of land somewhere and they never have to pay a mortgage again. That's a win-win for you and them, plus the person that's buying their house. So think outside of the box, guys. Don't look, you know, don't thumb your nose at a double wide because that can be a solution for some people. And so especially if you can help somebody never have a mortgage again, that's amazing. How many people get to say that? So if you like what you've heard so far and you'd like to get more information on how to get these ads, how to get this ad copy, how to get the images, how to know how to attract these type of clients, and you're not already on our system, type in the comments, show me, and either myself or Dwayne or a member of our team will reach out to you through Messenger and just kind of get a conversation going about, you know, what that would look like. And then we're going to get into the good stuff. We got five more and I saved the best for last, guys. So if you're with me so far, hang in there. The number 11, the commercial seller. So in a market where housing inventory is low, you could just say, forget it. <laughs> I'm not working with buyers and sellers. I'm going to another part of the industry. And this would be a great time to do that, guys, because the pandemic has affected a lot of businesses. And not only businesses, but landlords of the businesses. So even if the person doesn't own their retail location, somebody does.
somebody owns it. If you see a strip mall where multiple locations are closing down, or you see a little business and it says for sale by owner, or you see a sign in the door that says closed more than you think it should, those people might be struggling financially and they might be open to selling their home. And sometimes, sometimes those properties, they may be zoned commercial. Depending on your area, you might be able to get that rezoned back to residential. It really depends on the area. It depends on the county. It doesn't happen that often, but it can happen. And so you might be able to solve two problems because you know, I'm talking about like a home on a main street that used to be a home that got converted to a business. Sometimes those can be converted back. I'm not talking about a shopping mall <laughs> being converted into somebody's home. Although I have seen um, hotels being converted into apartments and I've even seen apartments um, being converted to condos. And so you sometimes you've just got to think outside of the box. So if you see something like that in your market and you think, you know, that's a hotel, but what if, what if somebody bought it and they did some renovations and turned them into condos? See, the plumbing's there, the electrical's there, the main walls and the roofing's there. Sometimes you, if you're creative, I've seen people do that with warehouses. I mean, you just have to think outside of the box and you have to find the right buyer and then pitch it to the seller and boom, you've got a transaction moving forward. There's so many ways to break into the commercial niche. Don't be afraid of it because everybody who's ever done a commercial deal had to start somewhere. They had their first deal. No, you know, a lot of people don't get somebody to take them under their wing and teach them this stuff. They just go out and they do it. Our mentor that, you know, taught us a lot of what we know early on, she picks up gas stations just by having conversations with people. Have you ever thought about selling your gas station? And she lists the gas stations. I mean, of all things, it's like, wow, how do you keep getting all these gas stations? She's like, I just have conversations when I go in to get gas. I'm like, crazy. See, sometimes it's just about that, guys. Just having a conversation with people. Number 12, the invisible FISBO. <laughs> These are the FISBOs that are not advertising online. Wait, what? They're not using the internet to advertise their property? Why not? Why would they do that? So sometimes a seller, and I've noticed this with older couples, they like to stick their toe in the water by just putting out a sign. They're not really 100% serious when they put it out, but they figure somebody drives by, sees the sign, calls them, they'll have a conversation. A lot of times they don't want to be blown up with phone calls. They're just kind of thinking about selling. Like maybe they're wanting to relocate to Florida and they're thinking about selling, but they don't, they're not hot and heavy to do it. So they just put the sign out. And a lot of times you'll see that, you'll know, drive by and you'll see this old faded sign and it looks like, you know, somebody's took chunks out of it because it's been weathered from, you know, all the years of it being out there. And you're like, what the heck? Those are perfect. Those are the perfect candidates right now because nine times out of 10, they probably have no clue that their house is worth what it is. I mean, these are obviously people who are not very tech savvy or they would have already listed their home on the internet and sold it. And so uh, we actually found a lot. We were looking for a lot on the bay here in Florida where we live. And we were just driving around looking for the invisible FISBO and we found one and we called and guess what? They're still willing to sell and they're actually selling at 25,000 below market. Do you know why? because they don't know what it's worth because they're not tech savvy. So a lot of times if you go in and you ask them, well, what do you think your home is worth, Mr. Jones? Well, I think it's worth about 300,000. Well, would you be surprised to find out that it's worth probably 350 to 400? Oh, I don't know if I believe that. Well, I'd love to print out some information and show you. Well, if you can get me 350, you could put a sign in the yard tomorrow. Boom, that's how you get them. And it's so easy. Those are the easiest ones. I love the invisible FISBO. Again, there are ways to attract them. But with this one, I typically like to send a postcard because it's a little bit more difficult to get to them through the tech. Now, client number 13, no money no, and needs repairs. I mentioned this earlier with the other client that I had um, when I was talking about the double wide. 
they had no money and their house was in major need of repair. Luckily, they lived in a very hot area and the person who bought it had every intention of renovating the house. So a lot of times people are not going to list their home at the as-is price. Now, let's say it's worth 300 completely, you know, in good condition, but because of the repairs and stuff, eh, they might only bring 275. They're not going to leave the $25,000 on the table. They can't do it. They won't do it. They don't care how much the repairs cost. They don't care that if you compare apples to apples, it's going to cost them the same. They won't do it. They can't. So you can offer to send out a repairman, a handyman, to give them a quote on what it's going to cost to get the house repaired. It may actually be less than they think. And sometimes, depending on your handyman, you may get him to do the repairs and get paid at closing. Sometimes you can, depending on what the repairs are, you can even put it in the MLS that the repairs will be made prior to closing. But honestly, in this market, depending on what the repairs are, I mean, we're talking, you know, nothing major, but minor repairs, you might be able to sell it for top dollar as is and the buyer will take it and pay full list because they just want a house and they're, they'll say, we'll put in the new floors. We'll paint the, we'll paint the walls. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll update those windows later. We're not worried about that. We like the house. We like the location. We'll take it. And you don't even have to worry about it, but sometimes you have to have that conversation. And so again, it goes back to your marketing. Do you want to attract this type of client? If so, you have to know the adverbage and the copy and things like that. That's going to attract this type of client. Number 14, military. So a lot of you probably are near military towns. This isn't a new thing. Military personnel, they move all over the place. They get their orders and they have 90 days and they're gone. And so when that happens, if they own a home, and a lot of times they do, they have to sell and they have to sell fast. And so that is not the time after they've got the orders to go. That is not the time for you to come in. You have to market to these people way in advance, way in advance, knowing that they're going to get orders to move one day. And so there's specific marketing. This is a little bit longer play because they might be there a year or two. But also it helps to network in these communities and get to know some of the military and not just because you're trying to get their listing one day, but because they're really awesome individuals. But if you have those relationships and you've done those touches and you've let them know, hey, I'm the military agent expert. I can help you when it comes time. Sir, when you get them orders, we're ready. We're here for you. We're going to get your house sold for top dollars quick as possible. <laughs> Sounded a little bit like I was in the military then because my husband is ex-military. <laughs> but we know the verbiage to attract these guys. We know what they're looking for. We know that. They speak differently than the average client because they speak military. They want to hear their verbiage. You have to speak to them in their language. When you're talking about their orders and things like that, they know, okay, you get it. You understand what I'm going through right now. You know that I just got orders and I've, I've got to get this house packed. I've got, a, I've got a report at 0600 at this location. I got to be in Fort Bragg by this date. And you understand what that looks like for them and you can help them. That's the type of things that will attract this type of client, the right marketing and the right verbiage. This is one of my favorites too, because you can get multiple listings. Vacation rentals. So you might be thinking that all vacation rentals are hot, money-making, income-producing properties, right? Nope, not true. Not even in Florida, where they're literally a dime a dozen. It is not true. Even the top producing units may be wearing the owner thin, especially if they have multiple properties. You got to think about a couple of things here. So even if they're getting, you know, let's take the average, the average property. If they have a mortgage on it in a vacation area, they're going to be looking at minimum $1,500 a month mortgage, not counting utilities. They're going to be in that $2,500 right around that 2,500 to 3,000 range for the average vacation rental by the time they pay their taxes, their insurance, all the utilities, all their marketing, taxes on the income that they're making, all of this. So they're $2,500 into this. Now, if the rental is renting for, you know, let's say $100 a night, 
uh, in the slow season and $200 a night in the busy season. They're not rented 100% of the time. In fact, during the slow seasons, they're lucky to get 25%. In the busy seasons, they're lucky to get 75%. There's only going to be about 90 days a year where they're at full capacity. I mean, unless it's Disneyland. But even then, they're a dime a dozen down there. And so they may just be tired of having the good times mixed in with the bad times. And then they had to put a roof on one. Then they had to put HVAC in another one. Then they had a flood in one of the units. They had to rip out the flooring and put in a new water heater. And so, you know, sometimes they've just had a bad experience, too many of them, back to back to back. They had renters that came in. They had a party. They trashed the place. Yeah, they had insurance, but they had to go through all the trouble and the claims. And then the renters that were supposed to be coming behind them didn't get to rent the property. So they lost the rental income. So there's sometimes if you strike at the right moment, they will say, I'm done. And you will get five to 10, maybe more properties pushed over on you. List these, please. Get me top dollar. I'm out. And again, it's like the landlord. They just want their money and they want to go. They're over it. It's not, it's not that it wasn't a bad, you know, income producing property. It's just that they're they're over it. They're tired of messing with it. And so there's specific marketing and things that you can attract these type clients as well. So if you liked what you've heard so far and you'd like to get more information on a client acquisition system that's going to give you all of the ad copy and the images, comments, show me in the comments. Dwayne or myself or a member of our team will private message you and let you know what those next steps are. Obviously, the next step would be to have a private 15-minute phone call. We're not going to sell you anything. We're just going to find out where you are in your business and to see if any of these techniques can help you and, and which ones that you would you know, like to learn more about. Obviously, you're not going to want to do all 15. You may want to focus on three or four. If you like the builder one, that may be your sole focus because eventually if you do that one right, that can be your bread and butter. That can be all your business. I know I had a couple that I worked with and absolutely loved it. He would call me up and say, you know any land? I want to build some more. I'm like, I'll find you some. <laughs> so once you make those connections and once you get some business going, it's real easy to keep that momentum going and get more business from it. Now, before we wrap up tonight, I'd like to leave you with a few more ideas on how you can mine down for inventory in your city. There's lots of people that want to sell their home. You just have to dig down to find them. They're not all walking around with a billboard advertising that they're thinking about selling a home. People don't like to be sold, so they're not going to have those conversations. But here's a few clues that might indicate that someone is willing to sell their house if the price is right, if the time is right, if the motivation is met. They're having a baby. That's a big one right there, especially if they have kids already. They're going to need more space. Maybe they want everybody to have their own bedroom. Maybe they grew up and had to share a bedroom with a brother or sister, and they refuse to make their kids do the same. Maybe their last child just graduated college. That's a good clue right there because now they're empty nesters. Maybe they don't want that big house anymore. Maybe their children have moved away and they're missing them and they're missing out on the grandkids. And you have a conversation and you find out that's their motivation. That's a big motivator, guys. Family is a big motivator. Or maybe they recently retired. You know, if they recently retired, they're not tied to a job anymore. Maybe they do wanna move to Florida or somewhere else. Those are good questions to ask. Or maybe they want to start a business. Maybe they need more space to operate a business out of their home. Or maybe they just closed the business and they're just, you know, they're done. And they're maybe they need to sell to downsize because they can't afford things anymore because of the financial burden from closing the business. There's lots of things that could indicate that somebody might want or need to sell a home. Maybe they just got a job promotion. And now they went from making $40,000 a year to $60,000 a year. Sounds like a bigger house to me, guys. It's all how you pitch it. Or maybe their spouse passed away. Now, this is really sensitive. I wouldn't go, you know, wouldn't go read the obituaries and send out a letter the next week. That's crazy, guys. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if you, you know, come across someone, maybe you've heard about it through someone else that, you know, 
My grandma's, you know, really sad now that grandpa passed away. She's all alone in that house. You know, I told her she needs to just sell that house and get a condo. That is a good time for you to say, you know, I'd love to have a conversation with your grandmother if you want to introduce me, you know, and and maybe you go over for tea or something. There's lots of things that happen in people's lives. Lots of transitional times. It happens to all of us multiple times throughout our life where we need to buy or sell real estate. It's up to us as the agent to listen for those clues, to look for those properties and those opportunities and make a match with someone else who needs that property. So guys, I really enjoyed sharing all this with you tonight. Really had to dig deep and brainstorm and really put it all together. And I, I enjoyed doing these for you. So if you like what you've heard, This is your last opportunity. If you haven't already typed, show me in the comments. If you want to learn how you can market to these types of clients, these niche campaigns, you want the exact ad copy, you want the images, you want the follow-up systems and the things that go with it that's going to make your life easier, that's going to help you go to that next level, type show me in the comments. Nobody is going to try to sell you anything. We're just going to reach out have a 15-minute conversation with you. First, though, we're just going to message you through Messenger, find out a good day and time for you to get on the calendar to speak with Duane or myself. And we're just going to find out where you are in your business and if we think we can help you or not. So again, type in show me in the comments. And guys, that is all. Thank you for watching. If you have any questions, feel free to post those as well in the comments. Dwayne or myself or a member of our team will answer those questions for you. And I really enjoyed this tonight and hope that you guys sell a lot of real estate. I hope you crush it. I hope that this is the best year that you have ever had. Have a blessed night. Thank you for listening to the Modern Digital Agent Podcast. We hope this episode was insightful and helps you become a well-oiled real estate marketing machine. If you're looking to become a modern digital agent, don't forget to check out our training platform at moderndigitalagent.com. Until next time, be safe and remember you're only one system away.